welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. We have a great episode for you today. Before we get into it, just a couple of things. Number one, thank you for being here. If you get value from this episode, please make sure that you share it with your friends and your networks. And if you're inspired by this particular episode, then please make sure that you leave us a review on whatever platform you are watching the episode on. And to get more information about what I'm doing and where you can connect with me, go to natnidham.com and that's where you'll get all that information. Now, Next thing of housekeeping before we, I tell you a little bit about the episode is I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition. This is the first product to offer a precise dose of urolithin A that supports mitophagy and increases cellular energy. So why is mitophagy even important? Well, as we age, our mitochondria become damaged and dysfunctional, which leads to the production of harmful byproducts and the disruption of normal cellular function. Mitophagy is what helps us in maintaining healthy mitochondria and eliminating those damaged ones, allowing for the proper functioning of cells and overall cellular health, which of course we know is where cell health begin and our health begins. Optimizing that cellular health is crucial for, to put it in concrete terms, maintaining healthy tissues, organs, and systems in your body. There's even research that MitoPure did that showed that it improved sports performance in humans. So you got to check out their website to read that study. It's very cool. So this is where MitoPure from Timeline Nutrition comes in. They have three different ways for you to get your daily dose of 500 milligrams of urolithin A. There's a delicious vanilla protein powder that you've probably heard me rave about before, which combines muscle building protein with MitoPure. There's a berry or a ginger powder that easily mix into smoothies or yogurt. I really like it with yogurt or just about any drink. And finally, they have soft gels that I that you can use for tra- travel, which is what I use when I'm traveling. So personally, I love the starter pack. It get, lets you try all three forms of MitoPure so you can figure out what you want and what your favorite is. So Timeline is offering 10% off your first order of MitoPure. Just go to TimelineNutrition.com forward slash NAT10 and use code NAT10 to get 10% off your order. Now, let's talk a little bit about this episode. Okay. Can the key to optimal health lie in the quantum field? All right. No, don't run away. This is this is actually a really cool episode. And quantum energy is a fascinating topic and it is gaining a lot of popularity. So in this episode of the podcast, we will unveil the power of frequencies and their potential impact on health, casting light on the oft overlooked health implications of EMF technology with Philip Samor von Holzendorf feeling. As we traverse the universe of quantum energy, we will discover how it can be harnessed and measured and explore the fascinating effects it can have on the human body. Imagine a world where blood cells are fortified and parasites obliterated by manipulating frequencies. I mean, it sounds like science fiction, but honestly, it's really closer to reality than you can than you might think. To wrap up our quantum quest, we will dive into the profound impact of quantum energy on water and ATP production, cracking open new possibilities in wound healing. We will also discuss Philip and Ian's groundbreaking web application that bridges the digital and analog worlds, settling, setting the stage for personalized healing frequencies. Now, I mentioned another name there. That's right. Ian Mitchell, who is the scientific advisor for Leela Quantum, 
also joins us. So we have two amazing guests here. We have Philip Samor von Holzendorf feeling, I just love saying his last name, as well as Ian Mitchell, who you know from a few weeks ago from our podcast on, on the Wizard Sciences Carbon 60 formulas. But Ian, as you probably know, being as big a science guy as he is, is involved in many different projects. And the quantum, uh, Lila Quantum is one of those projects. So Philip Seymour von Hiltendorf Feeling is a coach, conscious entrepreneur, and an energy feel healer. He went through two decades of training in shamanic and other he energy healing practices. And he is the founder and CEO of Lila Quantum Tech, as well as the Quantum Upgrade. Now, to learn more, you're going to want to visit lilaq.com. And if you decide that you want to invest in any of this technology, I've got the heel capsule that I wear when I'm out and about. I've got the water bottle that I put my water into. And I also have a cube here that is just, I'll put my hand in there. I'll put my water in there, my supplements, my food, anything to give more energy and to align frequencies that I can do. So lilaq.com and use code NAT10 to get 10% off whatever you decide to buy. Or you can go and or you can go to quantumupgrade.io and use code NAT15 for a 15-day free trial of the Quantum Upgrade, which we talk about on the podcast. You're going to have to check out the podcast to understand what the heck I'm talking about here. And of course, they have a presence on Instagram. All of those links are in the show notes. All right. One more thing before we get into the episode is, of course, I want to take a quick moment to chat with you about Element, LMNT, an electrolyte drink that I am absolutely and truly obsessed with. I've always got this giant bottle on my desk. It's almost empty here where I've pre-made a whole bunch of this element to get me through the day. I dump one packet into this one and a half liter bottle. Actually, the bottle is bigger than one and a half, but whatever. And I sip on it throughout the day. Not only does it help me drink more water because it actually tastes amazing. I don't know about you, but I find the taste of water sometimes kind of boring, but it also ensures that my electrolyte levels are always balanced. And this is important because it helps you to regulate your fluid balance, which ultimately helps with digestion, circulation, and temperature regulation. Also helps to maintain the body's pH balance, which is vital for enzyme activity and biochemical reactions. And in real terms, ultimately optimizes nerve and muscle function. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio, 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 2,000 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium with none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no fillers, no BS. And this is exactly what you want in your electrolytes and very often what you don't get. So right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. And it's not just like a little flimsy one. This is eight single serving packets free with any element order, which is a great way to try all eight flavors or share elements with a salty friend. Get yours at drinklmnt.com forward slash nat. This deal is only available through my link. So you must go to drinklmnt.com forward slash nat. Last thing I want to say before we jump into the episode, Element offers no questions asked refunds. You can try it totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you can give it to your salty friend and they will still give you your money back. No questions asked. You literally have nothing to lose. All right, let's get into the episode with Philip and Ian. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. 
Welcome back to the show, folks. I have two very special guests here today. I have Philip, whose last name I've learned for the intro and don't know right now. So Philip, who is the founder and CEO of Leela Quantum and Ian Mitchell, Chief Scientific Advisor. Welcome to the show, both of you. I can't wait to learn about quantum energy from you both. Thanks, Dad. Great. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. So, Philip, why don't you say a few things about yourself so people learn your voice for people who are listening? And then Ian will get you to say a few things so that people can lock into your voice. And then we know who's saying what. Yeah. By the way, the last name is von Holzendorf feeling for everyone that is curious. And I know that uh, everyone always gets scared to say that in a podcast. So, <laughs> no, I said Von Husseldorf feeling. Yeah. Von Husseldorf yeah. feeling. I got Pretty it. Good. Von Husseldorf feeling. Easy. Yeah. It's it's a very long German last name, and I'm from Germany originally. Um, I am German, but I'm also American. And yeah, so I used to be in corporate Europe and in corporate America. I, um, ran departments at T-Mobile International, responsible for 14 countries as a vice president, then moved over to Seattle, actually, uh, to be at T-Mobile US, also as a VP for, for a few years. And the reason I say that is because I, I got to know the technology side really from a different viewpoint than I look at it today, uh, especially if we're talking about EMFs. And um, just I answer one question first. Did you know at the time about all the dangers of EMF? And, and I must say no. Uh, and, and genuinely, most people there really also in upper management had no clue about it. I'm sure there were some that, that had an idea and then there were others that, that really knew it and they tried to kind of bury that because that's certainly not a good good uh, part for the industry itself. However, um, I've really gotten to know the whole world of frequencies and EMFs uh, at that point. And in the early 2000s, I realized that I had cut myself off my own emotions and feelings. And I started the, the inner path, the inner journey, if you will. And I've gotten trained in various shamanic healing practices and other healing techniques got into yoga meditation and all of that and always was seeking some of the best healers in the world because I didn't want to learn from a Reiki dude across the street because I felt like, well, you know, <laughs> that's not going to get me very far. So I literally traveled the world um, to find those people. And in parallel, what happened is that my wife had gotten diagnosed with chronic Lyme disease at some point when, when they told her that um, basically it rang a bell for her because she remembered when, when the tick bite happened, it was five years before she got diagnosed. And then they said, well, and you can't heal it by the way, right? Because it's chronic. You just have to live with it. Uh, there's nothing you can do. And we never accepted that. So she has her own, you know, healing abilities. Uh, she's, she's born with the ability to see aura and energy fields and all of that. But I think that Lyme disease was a teacher for her to learn certain things. And it was a spark for me to really get into biohacking pretty early on and to find the next best stuff that can actually help her. And all of that culminated at some point into creating Alila Quantum Tech and uh, where we work with frequency medicine and we work with quantum technology 
it's really just a culmination of all that I have done and a vision that that came up at some point when we saw other companies experimenting with quantum energy, but they really didn't do a good job uh, of it. And if you work with something like that, and then you work with frequencies, you need to be extremely clear about what you do. It needs to be excellent work. It cannot be just some shabby work or, oh yeah, you know, we'll just do this. We'll just do that. No, it needs to be something that people really benefit from where you don't have any negative side effects. And that's exactly what we created. Nice. I love that. I have so many questions for you, but before I ask my questions, Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit about your involvement and your partnership with Philip with this company? Sure. Uh, As chief scientific advisor. Yeah, we've we've Um, actually- You are the wizard. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm working diligently to be so. Uh, So we started working together with quantum stuff probably four-ish years ago, I think. And it was originally, as Philip had said, you know, we were working and dealing with uh, another group that was working on quantum energy. And then that transitioned and Philip started doing it on his own and kind of brought it up quite a few notches. And so I came in to bring in some scientific rigor because a lot of this, when people see it at the outset, Mm Uh, a lot of the things that seem very woo and very magical, you know, and people are like, oh, it's just magical thinking. Well, that's, that may or may not be the case. And, you know, it's something that, that crew, you know, crew, Philip's wife uh, talks about is, you know, she has the capacity to see auric fields and things like that. Even that, you know, people in this day and age still like, oh, that's impossible. You can't see bands of color around people. But that's that's absolutely untrue. There, you know, the army did research with chlorophyll drops, and it was a chlorophyll derivative that they would put in the eyes, and that expanded people's vision into the infrared spectra, so you could see at night, which obviously has some benefit. And then there was another research group that did a similar project, but with Retin A de- derivatives, and that allowed people to see in the ultraviolet spectra, kind of like you would see if you were an insect. Uh, and so the outcropping of that particular one would be seeing what would appear to be colors and emanations coming from people. So those things, a lot of the things that people just think, ah, it's not really real, maybe again, but if you really kind of branch out and say, well, how can we look at this? What precepts do we have that might be applicable to this? You can find little tidbits. And when you pull that thread, and in my opinion, as a scientist, the idea is to be completely agnostic to the outcome of the data. But when you find mm-hmm. something that's an outlier, you don't go, it can't exist because it's an outlier. It's not statistically relevant. What I think you should do and what I think kind of pushes the entire field forward is when you find something, you pull the thread and you're yeah, you get curious. Yeah, you're completely agnostic and you follow it through, you know, and probably not to its end point, because I think there's a lot of things that we're working on with Leela and, and quantum technologies that probably won't be defined very well in the next 50, 100 years, Um, at least not to the standards that a lot of people want them scientifically, you know, because truly, in a lot of ways, science has become sort of the new religion. You know, when people say follow the science, Mm -hmm. that's great if they actually follow the science. But sometimes the science, by its very nature, takes you into places where you're clueless and you don't know what the hell is going on. You know, Michael Faraday, when he was dealing with magnetism originally, he had no idea what the heck was going on. You know, it, it was many, many years before people actually came up with the formulas and the equations to actually prove that out mathematically and scientifically with rigor. And I think that's where we are in, in quantum technology. And with 
quantum biology, which is kind of my favorite focus in this entire space, it's looking at the outcroppings of what happens at the subtle levels, you know, moving from consciousness into tangible reality and the outcroppings of that. And we've done a ton of experiments. Some of the things that really early on kind of blew my mind um, in the university where I used to teach biochem, we took the quantum block and we took some ascorbic acid and we put one vial from the same container in the block and left one block and left one out of the block. Then after 15 minutes, I pulled it and I ran a reduction oxidation potential uh, assay on it. So it's a redox assay. And you look at basically how much atomic interaction you're going to get or electron interaction. So it's basically you're looking at ionic coupling and things like that. And what was remarkable to me was they were entirely different, right? So you run a spectral analysis, it says, hey, it's, you know, it's ascorbic acid. But then when you run a redox potential, the line's completely deviated. And even mm. though it appeared to be the same compound, it had a profoundly different amount of oomph and impact. And that was, I think, one of the first things that really made me think, we got to drill down. And I love the way Phillips approached this because, you know, we'll look at different studies and things to do and, and how to apply this. And we've taken a, a pretty good degree of rigor and done things in double-blind placebo-controlled trials, a lot of double-blind studies in cell cultures, you know, ATP assays that, you know, we, we time block things and do time point analyses on them so that we get really robust data. And it's never shy of amazing to me. And, and part of that is yeah. just, you know, what I was taught, I can look at and go, I see there's applicability to what I was taught and what I would teach. However, there's obviously more to it. And I kind of liken it to, you know, when people looked at Newtonian physics, that's great. It obviously works and it defines a huge amount of things. But when you start looking at, you know, general relativity and what Einstein brought in, he didn't make everything else irrelevant. It was just a subset of it or, or maybe even really the mechanical and material part is more a subset of the relativistic part. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what we're doing here is we're looking at it and saying, okay, we have what we know. But there are special cases and there are a lot of things that are underlying substrates that actually crop up to really change tangible reality and to change the physical outcomes. And that's that's what we're trying to do is all of this is basically an effort to make people healthier, happier, better and change the world for everyone. Amazing. Yeah, I, I'm glad you ended on that note, because, I mean, I got a little lost along the way, so. <laughs> Bottom line, <laughs> but, but, you know, so what's the goal, right? So let's, let's pull back a little bit and let's, let's talk about two different things. I want to talk about EMFs and frequencies and the harmful frequencies that we know are in the world. And I have, I've, there's this one question I keep asking like myself. And of course we mean none of me or my personalities have an answer to this. And so I was thought I would ask you guys, because Philip, you come from the, the industry of technology that uses EMFs for transmissions and stuff, is there, would it not be possible to use frequencies that are less harmful? Like we know that the, that the EMFs we're bathed in now are essentially not helping our biology, right? Whether you look at immune function or any number of metrics out there right now, we're not being served by the, by the soup that we live in, especially those of us who live in big cities. Could it, is it not possible that that the the companies could use different frequencies that are at least more neutral? Well, so I mean, in general, I mean, there's a ton of possibility to actually make it all uh, healthier. 
<laughs> if that was a focus, it's just not a focus. So yeah, it's as simple as that, right? If, if it was a focus that we drank healthy water, then you would help would have healthy, um, tap water mm -hmm. it's not the case you find fluoride in in drinking water and it's the big poisoning basically no matter where you look at uh, who does that is a different question but you know who lets it happen is is all of us certainly and a part of the big poisoning is certainly the emf soup that we're living in and it's it's just not it's just not a higher goal um that is healthy and hopefully we'll shift into that but until that happens we all need to just figure out what can we do for ourselves to actually mitigate the effects. And frankly, you know, with our technology, you know, I don't want to go too far here because sometimes we need to be very mindful on, on how we phrase things and what we say, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely possible to mitigate the effects so that you can use 5G in massive amounts even sit in an electric car where you blasted with EMS, yeah. frankly, for the people that don't know. And we can get into that. There was a study just done um, recently about that. Um, if you turn on our technology, you don't have the negative effects of that. So then you have the positive side of it. And, and this technology and, and all of that, the transmissions, the, the download and upload speed, all of that is super convenient, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's cool, right? It's fun that we can do all these things. It just comes with these side effects. And if we can mitigate the side effects, that's in essence what we're doing so that you don't have to change the whole setup of everything and tear down all the 5G and 4G towers and then try to build something new, which probably wouldn't happen anyway, mm -hmm. unless it's a very natural evolution because it would be too costly, right? I mean, who finances that? Um, no one is the answer un unless health is really the number one goal. And, and until then, you know, let's leverage technologies like the one that we've created that can easily help with yeah, that. No, I love that. Although, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure you guys saw that the Apple 12, the iPhone 12 was recently banned in France for exceeding, did you see that? exceeding no you didn't see that so france just banned mm -hmm. the iphone 12 because it exceeded emf or radiation guidelines which are probably already fairly generous to begin with <laughs> and yes but they made headlines in in mainstream media and you have to ask yourself so how's iphone 13 14 and 15 like we're three three iphones down the path now there's no way they're making it any less powerful but yeah i you know i sat and wondered you know up until now nobody was going to admit that emfs were an issue certainly not apple but now that the cat is poked its head out of the bag you wonder if apple all of a sudden is going to start to think about do we need to throw our hat in the mitigation ring because we're not going to change our technology you know, nobody wants to give up to your point, Philip. Nobody wants to get up and give up the speed and the functionality of this supercomputer we now walk around with in our hands and our pockets. Um, I wonder if that could be potentially not that anybody's tearing down 5G and 4G towers. Like, let's not kid ourselves. That's just not going to happen. But is it possible that the world is going to start to suddenly sit up and think, oh, maybe there is something there? I mean, maybe maybe the mainstream. Having said that, I think that that story has gone super silent since it came out. So, <laughs> I do think that's an interesting point. Shockingly, then then 
Yeah, then we need to pay even more attention to it. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Okay, so let's um, let's talk about quantum, right? So, to a lot of people, the world, the word quantum energy, it's either something super sophisticated that's some from physics that, frankly, they avoided taking like the plague when they were in school, or it represents something that isn't is non-tangible that they can't get their heads around and therefore they classify it into the classification of woo and we all know here that it's anything but woo and it is from the world of physics and it is not necessarily something you can touch and feel and see but to ian's point and to your point philip it's something that can be measured in in certain aspects but can either of you kind of take a stab at helping to quantify what is quantum and for the audience so that they have a feeling of what it is that we're going to be talking about today Philip, why don't you take a run at this first, and then I'll, I, I have a couple of things that I'd like to fill in the gaps on just scientifically. Sounds good. Yeah, so I'll start with a more simple um, explanation, actually, because it, it really is quite simple, uh, even though it's hard to understand for the brain. At core, we're all energy and frequency. That's literally all we are. The, the meat, you know, and all the s- solid parts that we can touch – it's it's just a bunch of vibration, right? Um, so in, in in essence, that's more an illusion, if you will. But we perceive it as real, and it is also real, right? It's it's sort of both at the same time. But in essence, we're energy and frequency, and each cell has a quantum field. Uh, so that's how the cells communicate instantly and constantly at all times, and. This very energy is what we were able to harness. Now, if you get in contact with it, it's sort of like recharging your batteries. And it's the energy behind the matter. That's how I always try to explain it. Because I think people people know that we're maybe 90% water, and but in, in essence, we're over 99% space. But then it's a lie to say it's empty space right right? unless you define empty and because empty isn't really empty it's it's actually filled with energy but it's it's not electric it's not magnetic so it's it's below subatomic how ion would would say and 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 so it, it really is is very you can't really measure it with a scientific instrument but it is there nevertheless which you can prove uh, because you can you can calibrate it in different ways and you can measure the effects of it right um, very easily and we'll get into that so it really is just think of matter whether it's a physiological organism or it's a tennis ball whatever it may be behind the matter there is energy and and that's kind of what we're talking about quantum energy and before ion takes on um, you know, the, the the quantum field is sort of like the umbrella and, and the frequencies that we have, the various different frequencies, whether it's a vitamin C frequency or a peace frequency or love frequency, all of that, basically, they these frequencies vibrate within the quantum field. They exist within the free, uh, quantum field, it, which includes scalar, by the way. Often we get the question, okay, so how is scalar different from quantum energy? Scalar is just a frequency set within the quantum field. And... Yeah, that's pretty much how I would describe it. And it's it's very important where, where Einstein was absolutely wrong and where unfortunately that is still the narrative of the, 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 the 
scientific world today, the mainstream scientific world uh, at least, is that basically what they're saying is that there's always a particle that's the lowest unit or that's the smallest unit. And in essence, what they're also believing is that uh, as long as you put the grid, you know, all the matter together and together and together, you create consciousness by doing that. That is absolutely false. It could not be further from the truth. So it's, it's a rabbit hole with a dead end. It's the other way around consciousness has always been there and will always be there and is the foundation of everything because it is everything. So matter uh, can exist, but there's always a consciousness layer. And now that may be too woo for some people, but, but I wanted to trigger that because it's so important and also miss on that regard because a particle unit if we're talking about quantum entanglement we're we're entangling energies it's not i don't have to entangle particles we're really on the below subatomic level and that's where you don't have particles you literally just have energy signatures so i i always rather refer to tesla because tesla very well understood what we're talking about here today mm -hmm. yeah no people have been on this for for a while it's just the rest of us haven't quite caught up yet if I were just to put this into very, very simple terms, because I'm a simple person when it comes to this stuff, I'm really not not that far down the rabbit hole with you guys as I'd like to be. But when you say like there's a consciousness, there's energy and there's matter, is it essentially the the consciousness and the energy together that create the matter, that create, that bring the particles together into matter, whether that's going to be a tennis ball or a plant or a human, You've got this consciousness to begin with. But does that mean that a tennis ball has consciousness or is it, are you talking about a global consciousness that is not like, it's not the consciousness of the item particularly, it's the, it's a greater concept. Correct. It's, it's, it still exists within the quantum field and also tennis ball uh, contains quantum energy, but in a low concentration and a tennis ball certainly doesn't have um a consciousness that is self-aware or could even yeah. be self-aware, right? But right. nevertheless, it is it is not dead completely in that sense because it does contain energy. So it right. is still vibrating, right? So on a on a different level, um, I probably could get into that um, on how you could, you know, prove that a tennis ball is also vibrating. But uh, yeah. De, de facto, since Philip, you're a competitive tennis player, if it had a high consciousness, you probably wouldn't be smacking it with a racket all the time. It would so smack you back. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, all right. I and you go. Okay. So, unless but, Philip, you're not finished. Sorry. No, no. I, I think it's great if I and. Uh, as. Yeah, jumping, jumping back a little bit on the note of EMFs, because I think this is kind of pivotal. So when we talk about, you know, electromagnetic waves going out, we generally think of, and people have probably seen me do this, you know, it's the idea of a wave, right? That's how everybody's taught, but it's really far more than that, right? So the impact that's hitting your body, people think, oh, it's the frequency. Well, maybe that's probably kind of a simplistic version of it, right? So a wave we typically think of it as modulated by, you know, frequency or amplitude or something like that. But as I actually tinker with it, I can define at least 19 
at present, and I think there's probably one more that I'm missing, but I can define about 19 different attributes of a wave. And so it's not the little sine wave that you see. It's actually spheres that have a chirality. You know, they have a spin and a direction and a pressure gradient and a color and a, a whole host of other characteristics. And so in order to modulate the negative impacts and actually change that, uh, you don't have to scrap the entire system. You just have to change the detrimental parts, right? And all these waveform interactions, uh, when something, when a wave hits another wave, you can either have constructive interference patterns that form or destructive interference patterns that form. If it's constructive, then your physiology gets better, right? And right. not only could these things be made to be not detrimental, they could actually be made to be very beneficial. Like literally I have a thing called the Lukowski chair here in the lab. And before we started recording today, I went and sat down in the Lukowski chair and blasted myself with a whole host of various frequencies of energy. It's basically you're sitting inside of a, a tuned Tesla coil and using your body to create an impedance in between the, the sending side and the receiving side. And your cells soak up that energy. Now, some people would go, oh my God, you know, you're you're pumping out a field that's so much stronger than a cell phone could ever be. Uh, aren't you worried about it? No, not at all, because it's done in the proper fashion. Likewise, we don't have to scrap, you know, 4G, 5G towers. We just need to modulate them so that they're beneficial for people. And that's absolutely entirely capable of being done. Now, on the note of the, the quantum and kind of jumping down, my, my conception of it is consciousness is the substrate below everything. It's the, it's the substrate that everything comes from. And so the, the picture that I've kind of built for myself, and you know, maybe I'll be able to prove this out, maybe I won't, uh, is that consciousness works at a base level that we really aren't capable of, in a classical sense, picking up because it's too subtle. You know, and I, I always joke about not having a quantumometer because I can't actually just flip a switch and go, oh, it reads out as a six, we have six. You know, there's, there's no real discernible measure right there in the classical scientific sense. But if you think of physicality, like Philip had said, as being kind of an illusion, you know, and Einstein pointed out, you know, reality is an illusion, albeit a persistent one. Uh, that's, that's actually kind of how I've come to feel about it, too, is we are really primarily space, right? You know, anytime you feel like you're touching something, you're not. It's actually just electron cloud repulsion where your electrons are pushing on something else's electrons. And depending on, say, the propensity of those things to be in, in proximity in a certain area, something might have a greater or lesser density and you might find it to be harder to push against, like, say, iron and easier to push against, like, say, tissue. Mm -hmm. um, but those things, the physicality that we experience is just that. In my opinion, it's an experience. It's not reality. It's our perception of what is real. And this is one of those unfortunate times when the map doesn't equal the territory. As, as a species, we've started to define a map of what reality is. But that doesn't mean we're seeing all of it. Because quite literally, as humans, we can pick up 0.00001-ish percent of the full EMF spectra. And so we're missing 99.99999% of reality. And that being the case... It'd be kind of like if you if you push somebody up against the Empire State Building and said, okay, now open your eyes. Tell me everything about this thing. You know, and they can literally see that much. Their assessment is probably not going to be that great. It's probably going to be like, ah, it's brick. That's about it. You know, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's brick. And that's about it. So we're kind of, we're sort of 
trying to use the best analytical tools and the best thought processes we can. And a lot of the things that we work on, they're thought experiments right now because we literally don't have the technology to do it, which is, you know, like I said before, that's kind of how science works, right? You, you start with an abstract concept, you postulate some ideas, and you try and figure out ways to kind of chip away at getting the data. Um, you know, the, the, the LIGO, uh, which is the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Observatory, it's where they use these lasers to look at little subtle fluctuations and pick up gravitational waves. They had the concept of that intellectually 50 years or so before they actually had the tech to do it mm. because it's just completely infeasible. And so what we're doing is kind of defining the, the quanta in a way that we can actually not assess all of it, but assess little pieces. And, and so, you know, a lot of the research we've done is looking at increases in ATP, you know, increases in wound healing, uh, you know, decreasing the detrimental effects of EMF. We're taking kind of pot shots around and seeing what it looks like. You know, we're splattering paint on something so that we can make it visible. And so for me, the, the quantum idea is that consciousness is the substrate. Things move through based on an expression of some sort of volition. I'm not going to even postulate what's expressing the volition, but something is. And as a result of that, we kind of manifest as sort of the epiphenomenon of consciousness, not the other way around. I think most people in science think, oh, we have a brain and therefore we have a consciousness. You know, it's kind of that, you know, big bang thing of grant me one miracle and I'll explain everything else, you know, and, and right. I think that that's where we sort of get off track. For me, this is an expression of consciousness. And what we're doing is defining the subtle levels of that, just like we did with, you know, that redox potential. It looks the same, but it's obviously not the same because we've affected something at a subtle substrate mm -hmm. that casts up to become atomic and then become molecular and then become biochemical. And we can see it at that level, but we really, you know, that's, that's a little bit more subtle than we are as, as a species just in general. Yeah. So. Well, we definitely tend to operate at a macro level, right? As a, as a species, we, we, what we can taste, smell, see, feel in here exists and everything else who knows right well, and yet yeah. you have people who are so much more tuned energetically to other people and i think anybody here listening to this at some point probably had an experience of walking into a room and feeling having a feeling right which we would say you energy pick, energetically picked up on whether it's the energy in the room, it's the energy of another person in the room. It's like when you know that someone's going to say something before they say it, even if you can't see them or you feel someone coming even before you can hear them. Like we pick up energy all the time, but we dismiss it. Or some people are maybe less tuned into it than others, which I we think is, it's, it's like an infantile expression of tapping into the energy field. Yeah, and all this stuff a hundred years ago, or a little more than a hundred years ago, almost a hundred and ten years ago, Nikola Tesla said at the IEEE convention, you know, the International Electrical Engineering Convention, he said, you know, in the future, you'll be able to look at someone and talk to someone on the other side of the world instantaneously. And he was panned for saying that because they thought he was an absolute nutter. Yeah. Well, guess what? what are you doing? <laughs> you know, and that's the thing, but it, it's, it just takes time. And I, that's actually one of the things I applaud about how we're approaching it, Leela, is we're really putting in the effort to scientifically validate everything and chinking away at what we can and defining it very clearly so that we have a robust set of data that's really grounded. And we can say, look, we've double blinded this study. We've done it to the best standards that we have currently. Here's what it came out to be. 
It's definitely wackadoo and strange, but nonetheless, this is what the results are. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, one of the things that I loved, I was, I spent some time on your website and I've listened to you guys speak before. What I love about the work that you do is that at the end of the day, you're meeting people where they are. And all people really care about is what does this mean for me? How is this going to impact my life? How is this going to change my outcome? Is this going to get me closer to my desired outcome? And then we can almost start to let go of fully understanding, and or at least some of us can let go of fully understanding and getting our heads around exactly how. And even you, Ian, was saying, you know, like we know this stuff does this, we know it works. We can't always fill in every little piece of the puzzle of how it gets there, but this, you know, and that may happen over time as our knowledge and and ability to quantify different things evolves. But ultimately it's how can we help people to feel and act and perform better and be healthier? And then we'll fill in the gaps later kind of thing, right? Which is more questions than a lot of people tend to ask at the best of times. So go ahead. I was going to say, you know, if somebody has cancer and there's some life-saving treatment out there and they know that it will work, they're really not going to care what the molecular mechanisms are. They just want to know that it will work and it will help them. Yeah. You know, and that, and I, and I think they can leave it to the rest of us to figure out all the mechanisms, but that's kind of what I think Philip's real crux is, is to try and bring something out that's you know beneficial and going to help people. I mean, that's that, honestly, that's why I'm involved is, I, you know, I very much resonate with the, the idea of trying to help. And especially it's kind of funny, but say a a quantum block, it actually emanates a field that's very large. And so, you know, I keep one at the lab, I keep one at my house. um, I travel with one and I, I think it's kind of humorous because literally it is changing the world. It might be a small local environment, but it's kind of like little hotspots, you know, it's sort of the the Wi-Fi network of good benefit. And that's, that's fantastic. Well, imagine if you got those hotspots in enough places, the the massive impact it will have over time, right? If you got one in, in every house on a block. Yeah, or if every 5G tower was emanating positive things, you know? Yeah. Because you don't have to modulate all 19 of those things to have a beneficial interaction. You just have to modulate a couple. Right. You know, and that negates a lot of the detriment of the EMFs. I mean, all, all that stuff has very tangible physical outcroppings because of voltage gated calcium ion channel flow and all sorts of stuff that you can, you can drill down on and look at, but really you don't have to tweak that much. I mean, our, our results um, are phenomenal. I mean, Philip, will you share some of the, you know, the data on the EMFs? Mm -hmm. Yes. Happy to. So, you know, and, and there, there were multiple different studies in that regard. I like to refer to two different studies now and we're, you know, not two different studies, but two different types of studies. One is the blood, um, something mm-hmm. called dark field microscopy or live blood analysis. You know, for the the Americans uh, that are listening, you know, it, it's it's the best tool that exists to look at your actual red blood cells and white blood cells and what is happening in real time because it's it's looking at blood under a dark field microscope, but which means that the blood cells are the blood is illuminated and it is magnified in a significant way so you can actually see what's going on it's not something artificial or it's not like you know you can see it with a video actually you can follow what happens and that method was 
very widely used also in the US. And then 20 years ago, roundabout, they put a license fee of $100,000 behind it per year for every practitioner that wanted to keep using it uh, as a diagnostic tool. And then it started to disappear widely in the US. Unfortunately, researchers can still use it without the license fee, but a regular practitioner, you know, come on, $100,000 a year, you think twice if you do that, because how are you going to pay for that, right? Um, so in, in Europe and Russia, it's still very widely used. It's amazing. And so probably the best uh researcher in the U.S. is Dr. Beverly Rubik. Uh, she has done gold standard studies. She's widely published, by the way. Everyone can look her up, UC Berkeley. And so since decades, she's been designing these studies. And she was actually very skeptical about our technology because I had gotten in touch with her through an introduction and because she was worried about the increased um, difficulties of dealing with EMFs for humanity, frankly, on that level, because of her studies, because she saw what was going on each year, it got worse, the blood she looked at. And she, by the way, has a very interesting paper also on uh, 5G effects uh, in relation to COVID out there uh, that was peer reviewed and all of that, if someone wants to look into that. Uh, Anyway, so she said, well, it's nice what you have. Uh, I don't think it can work. I saw your before and after test. That was very early on because we, you know, we don't start with this with the gold standard study. We usually start with an experiment and then we repeat the experiment. And then once we see, oh, it happens over and over again. Well, then you can go into real uh, placebo-controlled study, right? And then we were at that point, and everything was honest from our perspective. Um, and it always had this outcome of a significant positive change in the blood within minutes. Okay. And she said, and then I said, well, but uh, why don't you think it can't work? Well, I mean, I can only trust it if it's really a gold standard study mm-hmm. and not just some before and after pictures. And I said, well, so is that something you could do? And she said, well, this is what I've been doing since decades. So she set it up. And um, again, she was quite skeptic. And then after the first pilot study, she called me and the picture had completely changed. You see, she said, oh, my God, you guys have the solution for this. And you even have the solution for this blood clotting problem that's so dominant right now. And then I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You you just ran a study with four test persons because that she insisted on that to do the pilot study with only four people because she didn't want to blow our budget. She said, I don't I don't believe it'll work. So I don't want to blow your budget. And so then after that, she was completely like, oh, my God, this is really working. And then she took it to statistical significance in, in larger studies, sample sizes and all of that. And that's kind of what, what is really happening with, with many people that are very, I mean, I wouldn't call her mainstream, really, but there's a lot of like skepticism to anything you can touch and, and feel, right? And, 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 and so she always tested the test persons before, then they test. They were tested when there was Wi-Fi turned on. In the first test, Wi-Fi was not turned on. Then Wi-Fi was left on, so it was still running. And then you introduce our device in various different ways. So sometimes they put the hands in there. Sometimes the device was just, you know, just ten yards away, sitting in the room. And it was always with a sham device. So you always had, you know, the yeah. the randomized study where you have one device that looks like it's the real deal, but it, there's not even charged. And the other one is so that you can rule out placebo effects. 
And yeah, in 100% of the cases in all of these studies, it comes out that the you know, blood changes to the better in a very significant way in minutes. Can we, I mean, A, that's amazing. B, the perfect person to have testing your stuff is the person who is skeptical, right? Who's the person who doesn't believe. Like in my mind, having a person who doesn't believe and is open-minded enough to say, okay, fine, fine, I'll look at it, fine. (laughs) (laughs) And doesn't believe it. That's your perfect scenario who is a, a scientist. But can we, can I just help, just to help the audience a little bit, can we help them to understand what does what what are we talking about the blood here? Like I know because I've done dark field microscopy on my own mm-hmm. blood. There's a few people in Toronto where I am who who have these microscopes. So I understand about the rulos and then and then the blood cells kind of coming apart. Can we paint a picture for the audience who's listening who maybe doesn't understand what it is we're talking about here? What changes to what what what's changing about the blood? <laughs> mm-hmm. Literally everything that you can look at. And so, Dr. Rubik, for example, has five different categories that she, that she specifically looks at. But you can look at more things. So, one thing that definitely changes is the red blood cells. So, when the red blood cells um, build these so-called money rolls, then it's it's clumped blood, right? It's clotted right. and and then stage one and stage two of blood clotting was able to be reversed in all cases in just 10 minutes as where the, the blood was clotted. And then, you know, that actually happened specifically through the introduction of Wi-Fi. Then when, when the block was introduced, Wi-Fi was still on. Suddenly you see all the red blood cells uh, to reorganize and to declot. So complete reversal of that. You see that the blood is more oxygenated. Mm-hmm. That is an important factor. And then the white blood cell activity and motility increases. So the white blood cells are part of the immune system. So if they are paralyzed, like what tends to happen with Wi-Fi and, and other EMF exposure, then that's bad for you, obviously, because you can't defend yourself. So if that uh, is activated. It's a very positive thing. And then a couple other things were actually noticed by the BASA Institute in Austria that also ran uh, several of these double-blinded studies in regards to life blood analysis. They found that parasitic load in the blood even decreased by a factor of 70 to 80% within 15 minutes, which I found incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also even cholesterol levels decrease. So it really impacts the blood on various levels very, very quickly, because we're just talking 10 to 15 minutes. And I think that's something tangible. That's something for everyone, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. you know, no matter if you're healthy or sick, right, you, you want to have good blood. And if it can improve uh, through something non-invasive, that's just a, a beautiful thing. Right. And it seems like it's a very, I mean, I talk about this a lot on the podcast on various subjects and it's a very upstream impact, right? It's, it's affecting a small thing at a very basic level in the body that simply allows the body to perform whatever it's going to do better. Right. Mm -hmm. So having red blood cells that are not stuck together that are apart and able to operate independently allows them to pick up more oxygen, drop off more oxygen to function better, allowing immune cells to like, I, do we know it, do the immune cells clump together like the red blood cells or is it a different effect on the immune cells? 
So the white blood cells, they tend to be paralyzed. So that is what happens through, 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 through wi- you know, Wi-Fi, for example, or if you're, if you're very sick, yeah, then they just are not active. They're not, you know, think of it as an army that usually should be very mobile, very flexible and, and acting very quickly. Um, and that is exactly what is happening when you, when you introduce uh, a block that they become active, they become agile, um, Hence, yeah, and hence that's my the, analogy yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hence potentially, not that I'm proposing, you know, but maybe that decrease in parasitic load is simply to have optimized the body's ability to get rid of parasites or do parasites, or is there a thing about parasites operating at a different frequency that somehow is impacted negatively by a block or the energy put out by the block? So from 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 all I know, and I feel free to interject, uh, it works on a couple different levels, actually, because first of all, we know that limes and also certain parasites, they don't thrive in a certain energetic environment. So if the if the energy and we're talking the Hawkins scale, we may or may not want to get into that, but if if something vibrates very high on the Hawkins scale, that in turn means that there's a very high consciousness field and it's, it's not to thrive for Lyme, for example, Mm. and it's not to thrive for certain parasites either. They just have to get away. And then you probably have tons of other parasites that are not that much impacted by it, but you have the double effect that on one hand, the environment changes and on the other end, the body really gets into a state where it can fight off things like parasites and whatever else there is uh, in a better way. So that's it really works on two levels. That's at least what we've found so far. I know you don't want to want to add yeah, anything. Um, I do. Uh, so specifically, say with uh, Dr. Rubik's study on the 5G towers, right? There was a, a correlation between you know, viral load and 5G towers. That's that's clear, but I, I don't actually think it was some nefarious thing. What happens there is the, the 5G towers in their current configuration create an impedance for voltage-gated calcium ion channels, and that's the influx and afflux of, you know, calcium in the cells. And that basically changes how much voltage things have and when things cycle in and out. And when that happens, the if they're dysregulated, they, the environment becomes more acidic. Right. And so there are a lot of pathogenic things that survive and thrive in an acidic environment that don't do nearly as well when you increase the pH and you become more basic. And so just the the nuts and bolts of how this interacts, and, and I, I completely agree on you know things being a high frequency on say, you know, the Hawkins scale, but a lot of the outcroppings on a physiological level. Uh, are occurring because when you modulate waves at a quantum level, they cascade up and they change their interaction. That interaction allows red blood cells to ionically decouple so that they can bring more oxygen into the environment. Your tissues start to regulate. They allow the white blood cells, the leukocytes, start moving and flowing, and they're better able to fight things off. And in general, the entire environment is less conducive for pathogens. So you see pathogenic behavior drop just because of a change in the environment that's amplified by the body's defenses coming back online and just overall health and energetics. And there's there's a lot of correlates there, even things like cancer. Inside a cancer cell, and when I say energy in this context, it's it's 
you know, microvolts of electricity. Uh, there was research that came out, I think, in 2015 at the University of Bilbao in Spain, and they showed that cancer could only exist within a very narrow threshold energetically. If, if you had too much energetics inside the cell, the cell would win, right? Your immune system and your immune response would overtake the cancer and knock it down, which is what happens every day because mm. we have a preponderance of cancer cells every single day. We can just deal with it because energetically we are capable of fighting off that assault. But when that gets out of balance and that energy threshold drops back in the bound where it can propagate, it propagates. If it drops too low, organismally, there's, you know, there's death, right? And, and the entire creature dies. And in, in the process, you know, cancer dies as well. But that's kind of, I think, why, why we see this benefit that's happening on multiple domains is because those different facets are your body is stronger, the environment is less conducive, and your immune response is more appropriate. Hey, folks, just a very quick interruption here. I need to tell you about a new product that I have found. It's called Oral Tide, and I get it at Profound Health, profound-health.com. You know this website for bioregulator peptides, but what a lot of people don't realize is that they have other amazing products. And this Oral Tide mouthwash is one of those products. I've been using it for a month and I cannot get over how the sensitivity in my teeth has diminished. But the other things that the peptide in this mouthwash can do for you is it's been shown in studies to promote the growth of shrinking gums, speed healing of the mouth and tongue. It helps even to repair damaged enamel. So what are these peptides? There's AGDP, which is anti-gingival recession peptide, and DRPACP, which is dental bond peptide. So all you have to do, if you're interested in this, and look, the mouth, huge piece of the puzzle when we're optimizing our health, go to profound-health.com and use discount code longevity15 to save 15% off your first order. Once again, that's Oral Tide Pro. All right, guys, let's get back to the episode. But at the same time, we're not saying necessarily like this is the final solution. What we're saying is we're we're pushing the odds in our favor here. We're creating a better state so that, I mean, you know, because in certain cases, I would think the load is so great that is it possible that even just exposure to the right quantum energy is not going to be enough to overcome that that toxic load, but exposure to that the field is going to put your body in a better position to to deal and then may still need some other help. Yeah, in general terms, I would agree with that assessment, but I actually think that if you're truly in a perfectly aligned proper field with the right amplitude and force, uh, you, or I really, I should say with deference to David Hawkins, the proper power, um, <laughs> you can overcome anything physical, right? right? Because physical manifestation is simply an outcropping of the other thing. So if one is powerful enough, uh, then you can entirely change physiology. And, and that falls in the category where things are miraculous, which, yeah. which is kind of the, well, the, the outliers. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> we can't, we can't quantify it scientifically and it defies our understanding of things, you know? And again, I go back to how people would have looked at this, you know, 700, 800 years ago, if you said, you know, I have this problem, there are all these little bugs and they're inside my body and they're moving around and they're making me ill. You have a virus, right? We know that now, but if you had said that back then, they would have gone, you know, like get the pitchforks. We got to burn this guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's possessed, which he kind of is, but you know, not yeah. like that. Okay. So actually you said something earlier about calcium gated channels, which a little bit made me think of, and we've mentioned Tesla, 
it made me think a little bit about PMF. So pulsed electromagnetic frequency. And there's, you know, all these different devices, right? There's mats, there's coils, there's all the things. How are those things different than the technology that you have developed and brought to the market? Are they different? Are they complementary? Are they, or is one a different expression of the other? Who wants to take that on? Or am I completely out of left field here? No, it's a great question, but they're completely different. They're absolutely completely different because one really works uh, on the physical level, right? With um, electromagnetic poles that you can that you can touch, that you can even feel in a very physical way. The other is below subatomic, and they actually complement each other. Um, you know, in in some cases, you may just need one or the other, but it, what what our technology does, for example, it amplifies the efficacy of such technologies because it it just adds another layer. So it doesn't interfere with it. It doesn't make it worse. It just optimizes your whole environment, gets you in a better state. Um, like Ian said, it gets your, I don't know, how, I don't know how you said it, but your self-healing powers back online, sort of like that. That was the idea, I think. And whatever else you do with PMF meds or whatever can then still work and have an even greater effect. So that's how I look at it. Yeah. So you're almost yeah, creating a better it. environment for it all, right? Like you're yeah, very much so like a year ago this month, I had my uh, really bad motorcycle accident and my femur ended up inside of my tibia and split it six inches down like a log. I remember and that. <laughs> yeah. I, I used uh, pimp coils. I, I used a whole lot of modalities, but Pimp coils and the quantum block. You know, I always had the quantum block next to my uh, next to my bed here in the lab, and I used a, a pimp coil, a very intense pimp coil, because those modalities are very complementary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, for those of you who don't know, Ian, we were all at a conference, and everybody was like, "Well, where's Ian?" And your booth was there, only it was empty. There was nobody else there, and we're all, and you know, Ian's a tough guy to miss. Like, so people start sending out texts, and I got the message back. Oh, yeah, I had this unfortunate. I think what you, the way you put it, I had this unfortunate encounter with concrete <laughs> and, there was, and there was something about a motorcycle and bones ending up in other bones where they weren't supposed to be. And, you know, I think that by any standards, the accident that you got into would have been pretty, I mean, it was catastrophic for you, but it would have had, it certainly the average person would not be sitting here walking and talking well, and, yeah, and I like, feel you have again. You have this propensity for driving medical professionals to scratch their heads a lot, and <laughs> <laughs> and I think there was a lot of head scratching going on as you progressed through your healing. And to your point, it wasn't just about a th- one thing. It wasn't just about a block, or it wasn't just about a pimp coil. There were peptides involved. There were all kinds of things involved. And I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but but your trajectory to healing was virtually vertical compared to what it should have been. Yeah, it was, it, it was, you know, I went in a week after the accident and I had, you know, my pimp coils and the quantum block and lasers and stem cells and carbon 60. And I was doing all of that, but literally my collarbone was split in half. It was, you know, I'm happy to, I've shown you the x-ray. It was completely sheared in two. And uh, literally seven days later, I went to the orthopedic surgeon and said, you know, I'd like to get an x-ray. I think I've got it, you know, kind of back together. And he said, ah, that's preposterous. There's no, no radiographic healing. There's no bone changes. That's, it can't happen. I said, well, 
I'd, I'd still like the x-ray. And he goes, it's a waste of money. And I said, yeah, it's my money. I like the x-ray. So <laughs> he sent me down the hall. I had the x-ray. He came back 10 minutes later with his iPad going, do you see this? That's a new bone. How is that new bone? And I said, pulsed electromagnetic fields, lasers and stem cells and, you know, quantum energy. And, and he went, ha, huh. you know, actually what he said was, I guess you are smarter than the average bear, <laughs> you know, and, and that, was, that was literally, but you know, the sad part about that and, and granted I was healed incredibly quickly. I mean, I was back up with, you know, the huge break where my femur had literally punched into the lower part of my leg and left a big void. I was entirely heal, healed and clear from the orthopedic surgeon at nine weeks with, with what they initially told me I needed to have a huge surgery for, and it was going to be 12 weeks before I could put any pressure on my leg. The sad part of that to me is that the technology I'm using is available to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. It's out there, but unfortunately, and this is what, what to your point about leaving medical professionals scratching their head sometimes, um, the guys who scratch their head and go, well, I want to help people that way. Those yeah. are the guys that get it, you know, and we're, we're lucky enough to know a lot of those guys, Gus Vickery and people like that, that mm -hmm. genuinely so committed to helping their patients that they're willing to push themselves out of their comfort zone and address new technologies. Um, you know, and I, and I know in the case of, you know, Gus, um, he's an MD and a very sharp guy and he's got quantum blocks and, you know, he uses them when people come into the office. And that's, uh, has them for his family and for his kids and, you know, that, that sort of stuff because he's pushing the bounds in an effort to help people. And it, it does bum me out a little bit that more people don't have those things and, and are able to give those modalities to patients. But that's why we're doing this. Yeah, no, to, for sure. Well, they don't ask why, right? Like really the, the, the best case scenario in, in your situation would have been the orthopedics guy and the other doctors to say, okay, yeah. take me through this. What is it exactly that you did? How did this happen to come to I, it? And, and I mean, I guess in their case, they're like, I'll lose my medical license, but you know, you get other doctors who are like the hell with the medical license. Like what the heck did you do? I need to understand this and see if I can do, reproduce it kind of thing. Yeah. Well, the, the surgery that they told me I needed the day of the accident um, was he said, you know, we're going to cut you from the middle part of your quadricep all the way to the middle part of your calf. And then we're going to put in literally so much metal that you'll be able to see it through your skin from the outside. You know, it's going to protrude. Amazing. You know, yeah. Pins and plates and screws. And, <laughs> and I think he was very dumbfounded when I said, that's the best you've got. And he's yeah, that's the best. <laughs> standard of care. And I said, I I'm just going to check myself out. And I called my team here at the lab and said, guys, I need you to go buy one of those fancy hospital beds that lifts up and down. And they did that. And then they came and got me like a wounded dolphin and literally loaded me into the back of a pickup truck <laughs> off a gurney and drove me to my lab and then slid me onto the bed at the hospital or bed, the hospital bed here at the lab. And I just stayed here, you know, basically for three weeks, kind of mending myself before I was really ambulatory and could actually get around. Yeah. So that's amazing. All right. Let's get back to the research. This is I mean, listen, I could I could listen to this story all day long, but let's get back to we, we've only touched. We've only really scratched the surface on on the research that you've done on your technology. And I want to dig into it a little bit more. There's the. There's the live blood cell analysis, which is a very concrete, tangible example of a physiological change that happens in the body, how it impacts the environment and the functionality of cells, right? So we've talked yeah. about that. What do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk about the production of DNA? Although that's kind of like more quantum entanglement from a distance. 
you said that there was new things that have come up since you've published that research. Is there, what else? I'm going to let you decide where we go next here. So just very, very quickly, I want to mention the Emoto Institute, even though that's not new, but it may be new to some of your listeners, yeah. um, that the Emoto Institute out of Japan uh, tested some of our products right. and they found that they were able to improve water um, to a point faster than anything they've ever seen before. And they decided that day that they wanted to exclusively import our products to Japan, which they'd never done in their uh, history before. And since about 18 months now, I think they have been doing that. They, they keep importing our products to Japan, distributing it there. And they're just, you know, so what does that mean, improving so, water? And and how does that impact a, a person's body? Okay, so I let Ayn uh, take that. And then I just don't, didn't want to spend too much time on that because, you know, I think after that, let's move into ATP production and uh, wound healing because I think that is what, what you know, the, the biohackers are really even more Perfect. interested in. But Ayn, why don't you go real quick in regards to the water? Sure. So our bodies don't really process water as H2O, which is, you know, what we're always taught. Again, kind of a simplification like the idea of a wave. It's actually, you know, H3O2, and it's it's really like the stereoscopically stacked crystalline structure. And so in in order for the benefits to occur, you, you have to structure the water. And so in this case, the quantum block very rapidly can structure water. And so that's that's kind of what enhancing the water is doing. You're, you're changing it at a quantum level. Again, that cascades up and all of those things are harmonized for your own physiology. So which which the idea of harmonizing for a person's physiology sounds odd because we're taught to think of, you know, a device does one thing and it does that one thing independent of an external input, like assessing the person. Well, that's the kind of remarkable thing about quantum energy is that because we're all part of this quantum field, the block in a sense allows it to structure the water in a way that's beneficial for you personally. And that sounds kind of odd until you have done some of the research that we've done uh, with say ATP, where in a double blinded environment, you can see these shifts that are specific to only the cells in a fashion that will enhance them uh, regardless of distance, you know, kind of irrespective of the normal constraints, because it is quantum, it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a million miles away or a mile away. Um, but it, on the water, that's basically it. It tailors the water so that it's beneficial for your own physiology and structures it so that it's more conducive to your body to process and heal. And that's because the block is beside me or I'm in this, or I'm in the, the energy field of this block. So it's almost like I'm harmonized to that energy or it harmonizes to mine and somehow structures yeah. water in a way that will be most beneficial for me, but it would do that yeah. to somebody else as well. And think of it kind of like a, yeah, you're connected. And so you're, you're both having impact, right? The water has a certain initial vibration. You have a certain initial vibration in order to optimize it for you personally to ingest it has to modulate both things. Mm -hmm. And so as you're in a field, there's a field effect where those, those fields overlap and it links and then optimizes for your personal physiology, which is remarkable. Super cool. Super yeah. cool. Sorry, cool. Philip, we interrupted you. <laughs> oh no, not at all. So I think this was, uh, this was great. And um, you know, coming again to the ATP study, because that was another example of, uh, really accomplished, um, 
you know, professor, I can say, in, in this field, right? Uh, he's the associate professor of the University of Tulsa. Um, I know him very well. And so uh, he's, he's an expert in everything in regards to human cells and has looked at them for probably decades, right? And uh, 30, and, yeah. 30, 30, 30 years. So, I mean, you, you couldn't, couldn't be more expert in this field to look at ATP production, wound healing, and behavior of, of such cells. And I don't know him personally, other than that we had several phone calls, but you know, from all I heard is that he was extremely skeptical ab about this and, and was rather, from his viewpoint, very also very tangible, very, very mainstream, I would say. And probably really thought this cannot work. And then uh, it's, you know, we, we did the first experiment and maybe I and you go into that because I actually um, um, helped in that regard and made it happen that it was a truly randomized double blind study with huge sample sizes. Yeah. So we took cells and we put them in 96 well plates. So you have, you know, all these different things and you, you fill each one of them with, many thousands of cells and then you use compounds called cell titer glow so you can actually see when something expresses atp and then we would run a time point analysis in the spectrometer so or luminometer actually so so we could see what the output was and what was amazing is i was the only person who actually knew which cells we were treating versus which cells we weren't robert played to the cells put them in the dishes uh you know put them in the incubator and then we took pictures and I sent two of say four pictures of 96 well plates to Philip. Philip put them in the system, the, the quantum upgrade system to, to modulate just those two. And you guys didn't know on your side either, truly, you know, double blinded. Nobody, nobody knew what was what. <laughs> and Nat, this is, this is what I find amazing about the field of quantum intelligence, right? It had an impact only on the two plates that I had taken the pictures of, which is profound. Because to me, it, it tells me a couple of things. One, there is some underlying connective intelligence that's a substrate beneath all things that knows. And, you know, it's kind of like when you do the double blind slit experiment, you know, and shoot photons or electrons at it, and you can't observe it without changing the outcome, right? Just the fact of observation skews the outcome. Somehow or another, it knows. And, and that's kind of what we found here was the ATP levels jumped between 20 and 29%. And that was profound. You don't see that, right? The distribution in the normal cells over time at all the time points was what we termed stochastic distribution, which just means kind of a natural random distribution. But everything in the two, two groups that we did this, and, and we did this experiment in quadruplicate, yeah. and we did it three times and every time it would jump up. And, and at the end of the day, uh, it was enough that the first time we did it, uh, Robert was very skeptical. The second time, less skeptical. The third time, super intrigued as to, you know, scratching his head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but he's a brilliant professor and one of the most open-minded scientists I know in terms of, you know, like right now he's looking at, uh, bees and how they use chemicals to be attracted or leave flowers. And I mean, a really brilliant guy. And, uh, he was, he was very intrigued. And since then, you know, we, we talk about it all the time because he's worked on other experiments with us. Um, he's actually started talking, he told me this a couple days ago that he, he told his students the other day, you know, 
you're basically empty space, which, which I thought was beautiful, actually. <laughs> you know? Because it's, it's definitively having an impact. And he's truly, again, a, a really brilliant guy. And you see these kind of things. And even though what I was taught, what he was taught, and what he teaches currently, you know, it's not this, right? But you can't look at that data and, without going, okay, obviously there's something else. You know, there's, there's something real here. And for an athlete, you know, if you say, look, I'm going to boost your ATP level 29%. You know, that's kind of like, oh, really, methamphetamines? You know, I mean, it's not, yeah. it's not something that you see that commonly. Um, so it's, it's profound. And, and, you know, and does it work for athletes? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% it does, um, you know, because it, 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 whether it's, it's just a cell in the cell culture or you use the actual body, you know, that's, that's what you can do. And it's, it's non-invasive. Right. So, you know, no it's, again, it's, 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 it, it's not methamphetamines, right? You know, it, it is, it is just energy. And then the, the interesting part is, so we, we, we took it a level further because then um, we were thinking, okay, what else could we, could we have Robert um, test in his lab? Right. And then wound healing came up as, as something that would be super exciting to know about. And we had the suspicion that a wound healing um, is accelerated by the the quantum technology, and uh, so why why don't you also? Yeah, I could certainly talk about it, but you, you could it's, do that better than I can. Well, so what we did is we came up with a system to plate the cells, grow them to confluence, just meaning that they they cover the entire dish, and then you you run a, a cut through that, and you under a microscope, you, you take a measurement of the initial cut area, and then you look at how long it takes to become confluent for the cells to grow back over that in men. And you can see little fibrous-like sort of tendrils coming out as the cells clump out and reattach. And the rapidity is entirely different in, in the quantum-treated cells. And again, and we did the same thing with, you know, the first time we did it, I think we've done that experiment two times so far. And um, the, the first time it was difficult, we had a hard time. The second time we were far better at it and we're able to really drill down and get better photos. And, you know, we'll probably do it potentially again at some point to get even more crisp images so that we can really show. Because one of the things that we noticed is it's not a steady state incline where they, they heal. There's actually kind of a, a shift at, at one point in, inside the process where things go hyperbolic mm -hmm. and the cells start to increase, which actually makes a lot of sense because if you look at most things like water, when it's moving through a state change, you put a lot of energy in and it looks like it's moving like this. And then all of a sudden it hockey sticks yeah. and goes hyperbolic. And, you know, since we are, you know, over 99% water by molecular count, it's not terribly shocking that that's actually kind of how it works in cell culture and in tissue samples. But th the rapidity is just striking. You know, like yeah. if I don't know why, uh, I, we both work with a fellow named Todd Shipman, and Todd does, you know, running and ultra marathoning and that kind of stuff. And Todd damaged his foot, I guess, about two months ago and really just horribly cut it up. And the only benefit he got was when he put it in the quantum block, the pain would go away, uh, which in and of itself, you know, to, to eliminate proprioception is kind of amazing. But the rapidity that things heal is just amplified and you get a, a very profound shift in how quickly you're able to get your cells to function properly. Personally, I think this goes back to what we were saying before, kind of like with the live blood analysis where you can see mm -hmm. all of the vectors across a whole host of things 
going. And so the, you know, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. So you get this benefit energetically that cascades up so that you see not only the ATP levels go up, not only the cell function increase, not only hyperoxygenation in those regions, but the outcropping of that is, you know, the wound changes much more rapidly than you would have expected. 85 to 100% acceleration wound healing. Wow. So have you done any in vivo experiments? I mean, other than Todd damaging his foot, like, have you, like, I mean, not that I want to promote this, but have you, have you, have you made little injuries to little animal, small animals and then performed your experiments yet? We or? were actually going directly to uh, get a group of goth people who were very into cutting. No, I'm kidding. No. No, I'm totally kidding. No, we, we actually, we haven't done that. You know, there, there is a, there is a model for dermal impact where you actually punch holes in mice and, and look at the tissue regeneration times. And at some point we, we might do that. But personally, I, I don't know that it's terribly necessary. I mean, there are enough people who are injured all the time that yeah. I, unless Philip wants to take it to the point of doing a clinical study on it, I'm great with anecdotal data because there are lots of injuries. We don't need to make more. No, Just my no, a hundred percent. So, so, okay. But so when you're talking about this quantum healing, like you were talking about, it was different than the block, but would, would the technology is essentially do the same thing? Yes, absolutely, because okay. it's, it is pretty much the same thing, uh, except that, you know, the quantum upgrade is way more flexible. It can be dialed up and up and down. You can have all kinds of different levels. And, you know, for someone using it, it just you're not having a physical device. And you, there are certain things you can't do with it because you couldn't charge your water in it, right? Because it's just it's just for you or it's for a car or for your home, whatever you choose. Um, and then the, 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 but it can do other things, right? Because you can level it up or down, you can set lower levels for the nighttime, et cetera. But then the block itself certainly has the same possibility to, to do that with wound healing, ATP production, uh, no matter what we talk about, it just is always at the same level. Right. And then we, you know, we have different blocks at different levels. We have that, uh, so that's just the only difference, right? But Actually, both. Well, yeah. Will you, uh, will you tell Nat about Ben Greenfield's experience with that? Because I, I found that particularly interesting when he started the quantum upgrade. His experience on sleep, because oh, yeah, it's beneficial for people to know also to know how to kind of mitigate those effects when they're not used to processing energy at that level. Yeah, so so he could not sleep the first I think couple nights of having turned on the quantum upgrade, um, and and he came to it in a different way. Usually, you you come through to the quantum upgrade and you inform yourself, you get some questions answered, either through the community or customer service, myself, etc. And he just wanted to have it, and then he turned it on, and he was like, "Okay, I'm just going to go all in." So he dialed it all up, and uh, at night he had pretty high levels, and he could not sleep. And the the good thing is that he realized instantly, "Oh my God, this thing is just more than real. Like it 100% works." But he also realized, "Well, I have to do something." And then I explained to him, you know, that on uh, at nighttime you want to have it maybe at 500 only. Like I have it at 500, maybe at 600 at the most just because you don't want to be stimulated by the energy at night, you know, you want to sleep and during the day you can level it up and down, but that's indeed something that he noticed very, very clearly. And as soon as he changed it also at night, he had perfect sleep, right. And then he dialed it up during the day where he needed and wanted uh, the excess of energy. 
So the quantum upgrade is it's not a device. It's a, no. so how do you dial it up and down? Uh, we built a, basically like a web application that you can use as the user and you have literally just a mask and you can just set your different levels, 500, 600, whatever. You can book in certain frequencies for certain times. You can do that and you can do other things with it. So it's completely flexible. And we have an analog system that we built. It's the quantum upgrade system, which is way more advanced than just a single block. Even our most advanced block can't do what the quantum upgrade system can. And then the big trick was how do you connect a digital front end, if you will, with an analog system? So we developed a bridge um, that basically can connect the two. And that's what we've done. And, and so in that sense, it's, it's really, it's the world's first system like that uh, because the analog part, it cannot be hacked ever because it's analog. Um, and then the digital front end is still hooked into that so that you have the full customization levels that you can think of. That's amazing. And so does your phone have to be on? Like, I mean, it's very cool that you're using the technology, which is, you know, is being highlighted as this bad thing. You again, it's it goes back to the beginning of our conversation. Can we rejig these negatives and turn them into a positive for ourselves? So does the phone have to be on at night in order to modulate the energy? Or is it just a setting on your app? You turn it down, you turn off your phone, you go to bed, you wake up in the morning, you start over. That is how it works. You don't have to have anything turn on, frankly. It's just if you want to change a certain level, that's what that's when you do it. But you don't need to keep your phone on. Um, not necessary at all. All right. Well, I mean, I'm I'm still well in here. However, I know, Philip, that you have to go. <laughs> and I, I want to keep going. But I think what we're going to do is I now understand why people have part one, part two and part three podcasts with you guys. <laughs> because it's a big field. Yes, it's, it's massive, right? There is no bigger field. This is it. No. There isn't the quantum field. It's yes. the quantum field. It's the giant quantum field. I love it. So in the interest of time and respecting everybody's time, primarily yours, Mr. Philip, um, and Ian, I'm sure you have other places to be as well. Um, I have to eat bonbons and have a foot rub. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it's important. Bonbons and foot rubs are a very important part of life. Let's be clear. Why don't we tell people where they can find you, find out more about your technology, and then we can just make a commitment to doing a part two at some point in the next couple of months when once we've all had time to digest all this, because, you know, there's there's more to come. That sounds great. Yeah. So for Lila Quantum Tech, uh, the website would be lilaq.com, L-E-E-L-A-Q.com. Uh, there's also a Telegram group. It's a That's another part we haven't really touched on, but there's almost 7,000 members now that are active in the group. They're all using the technology and they're sharing and learning. It's great vibes. And so you can, you can, you know, listen in and ask questions and hear from real people that are using this. What have they experienced and what do they suggest, et cetera. So I can share those links with you. And then for quantum upgrade, it's also fairly easy. It's quantumupgrade.io. So not.com, but quantumupgrade.io. There's also a specific Telegram group just to keep these two separate because they're not the same, right? Is how you use it is different and what you use it for is slightly different. And yeah, I can share all those links with you. 
Amazing. So we'll put those into the show notes. And um, any parting words, gentlemen? Ian, anything else? Yeah. Can people I, I would connect say- with you even as well? Yeah, you can reach out to me at wizardsciences.com and just go to the support channel there, or you can reach out on Instagram at wizardsciences, uh, and that that will route to me um, eventually. And I I do actually have a deluge of people that ask questions on both Wizard Sciences and my personal account, and uh, which is at Ian Mitchell One, and I get back to everyone. It takes a while sometimes because, as you can imagine, there is there is quite a a large group of people who do have questions about sort of the mm-hmm. strange side of science. Um, uh, parting thoughts. The, the, the most profound thing about all this experimentation to me was that when I realized that based on the analysis that we had done on say ATP levels, and it was so profound, there's a connecting underlying intelligence that obviously interacts between all things. And as kind of to your point about people look at what's important to them. Well, people are important to me and the interactions that I have with people. So once you realize that everyone is connected and the waveforms that emanate from you will touch everyone everywhere, that's basic physics, right? Every waveform that emanates is going to keep propagating throughout time and space forever. I'll be at very tiny levels, but it's still there. So the one thing that I'd say to bring out is just as you move through your day, knowing that everything is connected and interacting with one another, be kind, literally just, it's cheap. You don't have to do much and it has a profound yield and a profound benefit. And in the world nowadays, I think that's probably the most profound and pronounced thing you can do is actually just be a kind person. I love that. Philip? Well, I would just second that because that was so beautiful that uh, I leave it at that. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I so appreciate it. Thank you for educating me and my audience in the world or initiating us into the world of quantum and quantum energy. And I look forward to many more discussions with both of you. Likewise. Awesome. Much love. Thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.